Well, we are introducing a series here in January. Um, I think we've got a slide up here that we're calling A Decade of Coming and Going. And I'll, I'll explain what that coming and going thing is. You're going to get a little piece of it today as we move along through the month of January. But uh, what we started with last week was this reality. And I hope every one of us will just take this simple awareness into your next decade of life. You are where you are because at some point in your past, you got exposed to ideas about how to do life, every aspect of it, what you eat, what's valuable, how you spend your time, how do you do relationships, do you want to do relationships, who are you as an individual, what do you deserve, I mean all these are ideas, right? Somebody's got to step into your world and fill in some explanation for these ideas and then you're going to respond by saying that's ridiculous who who said that stupid thing or hmm that makes sense to me I wonder I wonder what I need to do with that idea or that seems to be what everybody else is doing it must be right I've never tried that but everybody else is saying that everybody else you interact with ideas and a powerful thought is the, inter- the, the ideas you're interacting with in 2020, they're going to shape and define who you're going to be in 2030. That's how powerful these ideas are. Right, so this, this passage that's sitting here is an idea. It's an idea from someone named Jesus Christ. Right? The one who claimed to be the Messiah. The one who could fix the brokenness of our lives, who comes and he issues this invitation to come to me. All you who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's an offer here, and we'll read through that passage a little more carefully in just a moment. That's an idea. It's an idea about can, can you find rest? It's an idea about do I even need to find rest, right? I mean, this is an idea that you can agree with or disagree with. But what's really important is in 2020, on our way to 2030, you're going to be confronted by ideas. Somebody else has got an idea out there about how to find rest for your soul. Somebody else has got an idea. You can go with their idea. Or you can go with Jesus' idea. But we're going to go with somebody's ideas, right? But be careful because Jesus is not the only one offering ideas. Right, I'll pick this verse up. I'm not going to unpack this verse a lot. But there's a passage in Colossians chapter 2 there in your introduction. Verse 6 where the apostle Paul recognizes the power of these ideas and what they can do to our lives. In verse 6 he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, right, right, I'm I'm trying to resist unpacking this verse because I just want to make a brief point out of it, but but don't rush past what you just read, as, because there's an assumption here that Paul is making to his audience that may not be true of some of us, as you received Christ Jesus, right, that's an idea, Did, did you know you can receive Jesus Christ into your life or you cannot receive him into your life. I know that sounds so simple, but I think a lot of us have gone through big portions of our lives assuming that, well, kind of everybody's a Christian. Everybody's connected to God. Everybody's got some kind of relationship with God. But this verse comes right out and explains to us, no, as you at some point in your story received Christ 
Right, so the encouragement here is going to be to a limited audience, right? You, you can't go with the rest of this verse if that statement is not true of you. So you, you, you know, question your own life right now. Is that true of me? Have, have I done whatever that's referring to? Have, have, am I aware I've received Christ? So as you've received Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So not only is there a receiving, but for every person who has received, there's, there's more. There's a rooting. There's a building up. There's something that started in one condition. It's going to get larger. There's something that started at some level of understanding that gets rooted and goes deeper. And it gets established. It's not flimsy, being blown over by every other idea that's coming its way. Paul says, no, no, don't let that be the way you have received Christ. Be established in him. Let it be strong and impacting and effective in your life. And then he warns. It's a warning here. Verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive. Not by guns, not by swords and armies, but by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So this is informing, right? If the Apostle Paul is being led by God to help us understand what life is like, that's, that's a real informing thought. That Did you know that there are things like philosophies, right? Now, philosophies are just big explanations for life. There are some out there that will take you captive, There are human traditions. That's a real neutral feeling thing, right? Do you have family traditions? This is kind of talking about that. Did you, were you raised a certain way and then you're going to just keep doing that? You're going to raise your kids a certain way? You're going to follow a tradition, right? A pattern of life. Be careful that you don't have a pattern of life that you've received that's going to take you captive, right? There's the warning that's there. So, as you and I go to do life, beware. The ideas that Jesus has to offer, they're not the only ideas out there. You and I may have bought into some of these other ideas already, or we may be on our way to buying into them. But when you lift your eyes to go do life, you're going to have a certain experience. And Jesus steps into that with this passage, right? He's got an idea here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's some some rich words that are in here, and you know when you translate from the original language of the Bible into English, you can come up with some little different nuance of words. There's the words of labor and heavy laden. There's also weary. There's a weariness in this passage. There's burdens in this passage. You know what's interesting? I I love that that Jesus highlights that this is the way your life could feel, and then he's going to offer something. That you and I need to wrestle with, do I really need what he's offering me? Right? Jesus Christ stands in front of humanity and says, you need rest. 
You agree with that? Do you need rest? Because one of the biggest reasons why people don't follow Christ is they're convinced they don't need what he has to offer. And sometimes the Bible needs to educate us in the categories of our lives where we really, really need the things that God says we really, really need, not just the ones we think of. But do you need rest? Do you have any sense in your life of what it feels like to be overwhelmed, exhausted, spent, wearied, under the burden of life and its activity? Does life ever feel that way to you? Because, you know, when Jesus stands in front of this audience, sort of just like standing in front of an audience today, I think they heard certain pieces of this brief statement differently. You know, I I don't think they got a whole lot of, uh, come to me, well, I don't don't really know you that well. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn. Uh, You know, I don't know if you can sell me a yoke of learning. Unless the other stuff that's in this passage is true. Right, so if I stood up here this morning, if we had announcements this morning that were saying, hey, we, we've got this Sunday school class that'll teach you about the Bible. We've got a Bible study that'll teach you about the Bible. We've got a marriage seminar coming up. We want to invite you to all these learning, learning opportunities that we have. You could sit there totally not listening. Do you, do you know when you want to come to a marriage seminar? When your marriage feels weary and burdened and exhausted and not working right and the wheels are coming off. Then all of a sudden you hear, oh, the church does marriage seminars? Oh yeah, we've done hundreds of them. Oh, I didn't know. Well, the same thing's happening in this passage. Jesus is talking about something, you know, coming to church, learning of Jesus. You may have no interest in that. And just somebody telling you, you ought to go to church. Until it taps into the fact that life feels burdensome we're it's not working i just feel overwhelmed by it at that moment now jesus has an audience but i want to take apart his audience a little bit here because there's something to be understood in that whole aspect of the human condition that jesus invites to himself that it can feel wearied burdened laborsome like you just keep working at it working at it working at it and, and it doesn't seem to fix or repair anything. Jesus gets that. Right? But, but do we get that? Right? Do we get that our lives consist of something? Right? When the Bible goes to describe us. We, we may not have paid attention to these categories. But, but we know they're true. There, there is a material version of us. Portion of us. And there's an immaterial portion of us. Right? So you can see the material. The materials that's made up of our bodies. We've got... Tissues and organ and genes and just a cooperative systems of circulation and breathing and everything that brain, all this stuff that's happening in us physically. But there's another piece of us, isn't there? There's a piece that you just kind of can't put your finger on exactly. It's got emotions in it. It feels life. Uh, any of you that were spending this past week with unexplainable senses of depression... This life felt depressing to you. Uh, you. You may or may not be able to find that floating in your bloodstream. There's another aspect to your life. The sense of hope that every one of us is looking for. Like we, we don't just want our bodies to feel healthy. We want hope. We want a sense that our life has meaning and purpose. And those are untouchable 
things, but they're part of who we are. Now, now don't over-divorce this because Jesus went about teaching people a lot. He was an idea presenter. He was challenging people's ideas. and He was calling them to believe things. And he taught things. So he interacted quite a bit with the immaterial part of us. But if you watch Jesus, it's not as though he ignored your physical well-being and had nothing to do with that. Jesus was constantly going from one location to another, healing physical bodies. So don't overplay this. Don't become a philosopher that separated yourself from your physical body. Your physical existence is important. It's important to God. So much so that eternally he's going to give you a different body. But you are going to have a body in all eternity. But there's another piece of us that needs a different kind of rest, right? When our physical body gets exhausted and spent, uh, we go lay down, right? I mean, we just, we're just spent. We're just going to pass out. We're going to take a nap. We're going we're gonna to sleep extra hours. We've, just, we've spent ourselves physically. So a physical body needs rest in a particular way. What does a spiritual and a soulish dimension of a human being, what does it need? How do you get that part of us to find rest? Well, if we all recognize we need it, this is a pretty big deal, isn't it? Because Jesus offers to meet us in that location. If you're physically tired, you know, I mean, your body needs to be resurrected, he can resurrect it. But if you're physically tired, you, know, you might just need to go sleep. It might just be really that simple. Go take a nap. Go sleep tonight. Uh, but do I need Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, but you, you also still need to take a nap, right? But your soul is more complicated than that. Jesus speaks to the human condition. He says, your soul, if it's going to find rest, it's going to need to come to me for that. You and I aren't good at that. So here's a conclusion. We are these types of human beings, right? Physical, immaterial. And we're doing life, and at some point, life becomes characterized by terms like burdened, wearied, heavy laden, laborsome. Question, how did life get that way? Was it always like that for humanity? How did life get to where that's the way it can feel for us? Well, you guys remember, and I, I try not to preach messages that I got to go back and re-preach the one from the last week. But the last week informed this week, right? And a major important realization for, for each one of us as individuals, as we said last week, is each of us are living a story. Each of us have a story. We're working on that story. We want certain things for that story, right? You've got a story. I came up and asked you, hey, what's your story? You wouldn't stare at me like, Story? What do you mean? You'd start telling me about your life and how it's lived and how you got where you are, where you came from, etc. But what's critically important is every one of us is not some self-existent, non-connected, self-defining story. We are all a story within a story. There's another story taking place that's been taking place before you and I ever came along that doesn't always touch us in particular. It's a story about God who created everything and he's doing all kinds of stuff. You know, when, if, if a bunch of us were all waiting at a train station to get on a train, right? the second we got on that train, you recognize we would be a story within a story, wouldn't we? 
Each of us individually are going somewhere, but wherever you're going, that train's going somewhere. Whatever you're hoping for in life, that train is going somewhere. That train is running on some tracks that have been planned and predetermined to take every one of the passengers somewhere. Even though each one of those people may live at a different address, may have a different agenda going on in their life. They're different ages. They like certain things differently. But that train has a story to it. God's creation is that way. It's got its story that the creator has made. And he has put you and I on the stage for a brief moment in that story. But what happened before you and I took the stage matters then, doesn't it? Because there's stuff in that story that informs our story. And that answers a little bit of our question here today. Why would Jesus need to interact with a humanity that feels wearied and broken and burdened? And laboring and laboring and laboring but not fixing things? Well, that goes all the way back to an early, early chapter in that great story. And it's a chapter the Bible refers to as, quote, the fall. You may be familiar with that term, the fall. But quite simply, it's just the day that God's creation fell, if you would, from what God originally created into a broken version of what he originally created, right? You go all the way back to Genesis, and I'm just going to briefly take you in this because I think it explains well why life feels the way it does, right? Genesis chapter 3, this is a story before our story, right? None of us were around. Peter's not here today. I think he may have been there. Um, He's not feeling well today. He's seldom sick, and he's sick today, but Peter probably could tell us what was happening in Genesis 3 um, firsthand. Uh, But here's the story that came before our story, That explains a lot of why our world is the way it is. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now, the serpent, right, this is the Garden of Eden. The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Idea. No, the devil says, you won't die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, in this moment, do you see how simple life can be? In this moment, Adam and Eve have two ideas and a decision to make. I mean, you know, the decision they made about this idea would shape the next decade of the world. They decided, hmm, I don't think God's shooting straight with us. But this serpent that I just met is. How much sense does that make, right? You got no history with this stinking thing. He comes along and makes a deal with you and you go with it. You've got all this history with God, but nonetheless, that's exactly what they did. An idea came along. Now, why is this relevant for us? Because as soon as that happened, if you have your Bible, maybe they'll put these verses up in Genesis chapter 3. This is what happens as a result of, of them buying into this idea. The world is about to change. It it existed in harmony. Everybody got along. Life got along. Our bodies got along with life. Everything worked. 
in harmony. There was no future destruction. Nobody ever would have to have a moment of fear in their life. Because there was nothing coming that could harm them. They were in complete harmony. Until sin entered in through this moment. And now their life is different. Right, so look in Genesis 3 verse 14. It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the earth. On your belly you shall go. Dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. See that word enmity? Right, it's the introduction to where you're no longer going to get along. The world just become an, it became an uncooperative place. Everything that when you press the button, it all worked. Now you press and it doesn't work. As a matter of fact, worse than that, it doesn't just not work. It rises up against you. It's irritated by the fact that you're pressing it. Right? So the world responds that way. To the woman, verse 16, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, any of you who have raised children know that the pain doesn't stop after childbirth. <laughs> There's an ongoing disconnection and hostility between parents and children. How many of you guys can say you've raised children and you never had a dispute? All those years, right? Just was smooth. We got along. We would share something. They would say, yes, that's the best idea ever. <laughs> Would you like me to do that now? Well, of course. Wonderful, son. Here's your reward. Uh, It just didn't happen that way, did it? Right? Verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the trees of which I commanded, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns, thistles, it shall bring forth. You shall eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face. Right? So everything that would have been smooth sailing just become really difficult. Pain is now involved in just tilling the field. You're fighting with plants to get them to grow. There's going to be a striving and a hostility. And a little bit earlier on there, there's this warning. Wives, you're going to have a relationship with your husband that's not healthy. That's got problems in it. You're going to want things from him in a way that you don't need to want that from him. And he's going to domineer over you in a way that's inappropriate. So husbands and wives, you're going to have hostility in your life. Now, when this comes into the storyline of humanity, it gets to be laborsome and wearying to do life because nothing seems to cooperate anymore. The world feels broken. It feels contrary. It feels hostile. So, you know, you're looking to have an, an easy day and you get up and everything just keeps going wrong. Right? So I know you've lived in that, right? We live in a world that won't cooperate with us, right? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why is my life so hard? I know you've been in places where you've, you've asked exactly that question, probably use exactly those words, and probably exasperated when you mentioned it. Why? And you know, if you're not careful, right, you try to answer that question only from within your own story, right? So you pull up your resume, you pull up your background, you go back as far as you feel like you need to go back a month, 10 months, 18 years when you didn't go to college and look at that, 
right? And you define your existence out of your own little story. It's a massive mistake, by the way. Because you don't have enough data to answer that question. Why is my life so hard? Well, because I was raised by parents who were this way. Well, because we were raised in a, in a low-income family. Because I didn't go to college. I didn't have the opportunities that other people had. Because I didn't have the education that people had. That's why my life is so hard. Okay, you're only getting that by staring at your own story. What a massive mistake you're making. Because your life is just a story within another story. You understand the biggest reason why your life is so hard is found in Genesis chapter 3. It's not found at your childhood address. It's not found at what happened to you when you married this person and you thought they were the right person, but they weren't the right person. So this became hard because I made a bad decision. That's not where hard started. Hard started back in the garden when God touched the world in a certain way and everything in it became restless and uncooperative with the human soul. God goes on a little further and explains this. He, he He calls creation groaning. He says creation is groaning. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he says, the creation was subjected to futility, right? Past tense. Outside of your story. Was it, was it subjected when you knocked the milk over when you were a kid? When you got that attitude? When did it get subjected? It got subjected long before you ever took a breath. Long before you ever came around. The story into which you are living tells about a creation that was subjected to futility. Not willing, but because of him who subjected it. So again, his story which is above and beyond your story, is deeply affecting your story. You see how important it is to look at your life beyond your own life? Listen, and some of the reason why I do these sorts of series in the beginning of the year is because the world that you live in won't tell you this part of your story. It really is just trying to get you to fall in love with your own story. It is so focused on your story. I don't even know if you're, it's focused too much beyond next weekend in your story. What's going to do it for you? What's going to fix you? What's going to be a joy and a pleasure? And what's going to make your life fulfilling? When the world goes to answer that question, does it go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and try to give you advice? Does it present its ideas out of the idea that, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some stuff in your world that's got nothing to do with the things you're trying to fix? And quite honestly, they're bigger problems. How do you know that the sin that dwells in the human existence is a bigger problem than your husband's personality? How do y'all know that? I mean, I know some of your husbands. I understand that's a difficult question. (laughs) There are bigger issues that are crunching and smashing our lives under its weight. And if you don't see these things, some guy walks up claiming to be the Messiah and says, come to me. And you don't get, why do I need to come to you? I can go anywhere. I can go and do something. I can go wherever. All kinds of people got places I can go. Why don't I come to you? Um, Well, we're going to see why. Verse 21 of Romans 8 says, the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the creation has been groaning. 
Right? That's a form of maybe probably complaining together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we ourselves, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. All right, so in other words, outside of my story, there's a big story that in the future has something called redemption in it and adoption. And, and I, I get to step out of this body and into another body. Is, is that my story? No, it's the story within which I am a part. And it will become my story, but it's not my story. It's God's story. But I get to recognize that that's my future. But, but please do notice this as well. Don't read past this. We ourselves, who have the spirit, who, have the, who are these people? This is everybody. Is this every human being? Well, no, there's, a, there's an us and a them in this passage. There's we who have the Spirit, and then there are those reading this who do not. And that goes back to the same words Paul used. As you received Christ. See, when you receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. You don't have the Spirit from the get-go, from the moment you were born. All of humanity doesn't have the Spirit. But there are some who have received Christ. They have the Spirit. And Paul's careful to point out, hey, listen, those of you who have turned to put your hope in God and entrusted Christ and you've received him, the Spirit's come to live in you, hey, you're not uh, exempt from groaning. Your life still hurts. And it still has some of these elements to it. And you can still feel wearied and burdened and overwhelmed and exhausted and you're going to still need to come to me you're going to come a little differently than that person who doesn't even know me but you're still going to need to come to me listen i want to i want to feature this morning just an awareness that generations wear this groaning a little differently they don't all scream over the same stuff they don't all groan over the same things but they're all groaning right And if it's true, if it's true that you and I are a story within a bigger story, then this bigger story features some reasons for us to come in and of itself. Whether your life is making you squeal right now or not, that bigger story is giving you reasons to come, right? I think I put this in your outline. Come because you can't stay where you are. We have to find a way out of this fallen condition you cannot stay right the world is fallen it is in a corrupted state it has turned on itself and so maybe you're having a good day maybe you're having a good season starting 2020 things are going hot things are going well got a new girlfriend got some money got a new job whatever don't lull yourself to sleep. Regardless of your story, your story just took an upswing. Oh, my story's on a better page right now. Yes. The big story that you're a part of is screaming at you. You can't stay where you are. You've got to come away from where you are. You are groaning under something that's in this fallen world. There's a moment where this becomes real, right? And when we kind of stop our, our Disney World adventure and realize there's a serious 
thing we've got to respond to. I don't know if you've, you've seen this, this movie, uh, Jurassic World. You've seen this movie? This is one of those reinvent the dinosaur movies, right? Somehow, you know, science fiction thing where they figured out how to capture some DNA out of a mosquito from back in the dinosaur days. And they extract the DNA and they reinvent dinosaurs. And these scientists make up all these dinosaurs and they put them on an island and they have this great idea. We'll create a theme park. And we'll invite all these people to come to the theme park. And and the the key elements of the theme park are the dinosaurs. They get to come see all the dinosaurs, like dinosaur events. And there's rides in the theme park. And there's food places and ice cream stands and gift shops and souvenir places. And so you see the theme park and everybody's walking around and they're, they're loving it. It's just a great day at the theme park until the dinosaurs get out of their cages. It's kind of like the fall. There was one version of the Jurassic World got created, but then it fell. And when it fell, the cages got open and all the dinosaurs got let out. And guess what they have in mind? They're going to snack on all the visitors. Right, so in this moment, right, so you've come to Jurassic World. You, you You have saved your money. You can't wait to be here. And you start off on the adventure And you're enjoying licking your ice cream. That was the best ice cream ever. You can't wait to go on that ride. And then you see these people running like mad, screaming out of their minds, trying to get off the island. Because everything has changed. And the number one, matter of fact, the only priority at that moment is you need to get out of there. How many at that moment are going, uh... I have got to get an ice cream before we go. You know, I, we came all this way. We are going to ride that ride. Get in line, kids. We're going to ride that ride right there. I mean, ah, and birds are swimming down and eating people. And no, no, ignore the T-Rex. Get in line, kids. We bought tickets. We're going to enjoy this. No, your only priority is get out. You have got to get out of this. There's a sense that Jesus steps into a sin-invaded world that has turned on itself. Everything about your life has become a dinosaur that wants to eat you. And Jesus stands and he says, come to me. I'll get you out of this. I am the way and the truth and the life. There's something unique about who Jesus is that can get you out of a situation that has weighed down your soul. He can do it in a way no one else can. He has unique qualifications. But let, let, me, let me give you a good depressing feel here for a second. All right, Tim Keller says this in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He paints just an accurate depiction. This is what groaning feels like in a fallen world and the things that weary us. He says, the loss of loved ones, debilitating and fatal illness, personal betrayals, financial reversals and moral failures, all of these will eventually come upon you if you live out a normal lifespan. No one is immune. Therefore, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, 
comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career. Something will inevitably ruin it. No matter how hard you work at your story, your story within another story and the truths in that story are going to find their way to your life. Go to the gym. Go to the gym. Can I just tell everybody that don't know the gym memberships don't feature this. It's not even in small print. You are still going to die. This is why I don't go to the gym. It's a waste of time. Right, so there's this reality. You and I have created lives that in some ways are trying to rescue us from everything that can threaten us and make us feel vulnerable and fearful. So I'll I'll get a degree in this because I can get a good career and I can pay for all these things. Right, no matter what, someone's going to betray you in your life. You're going to build this great... I mean, there's lots of folks right here who could say, I married somebody and gave my life to them and it ended horribly. This, you didn't want that to be your story, but you live within another story. And that story brings things that are broken into our world. You may have been healthy all your life and suddenly you get a diagnosis. You had no idea that that was going to be the diagnosis that you'd receive. See, there are things in this world that there is nothing that you can come to that will give you rest from that. There is one who invites us though. Keller goes on and says, no amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile. And subject to forces beyond our power to manage. He says pain and evil in this world are pervasive and deep and have spiritual roots. It's not just because of your past. It's much bigger than that. Perhaps even more to the point is a line in Tolkien's novel, The Lord of the Rings. Always after defeat and respite, evil takes another shape and grows again. This is that moment when you go... Here we go again, right? No matter what we do, human suffering and evil can't be eradicated. Even when you pull all your force into stopping it, it just takes another form and grows in some new way. If we are going to face it, it takes more than earthly resources. So when somebody comes along with an idea and offers you earthly resources immediately, just do a quick audit here. Their resources will not solve the story within which you find your life. There are things from that story that started back in Genesis chapter 3 that nobody has the power to overthrow it. Except one. And don't for a second think he's indifferent, by the way. Remember, this one was the glorious eternal God who in order to solve this problem, he clothed himself in one of these outfits and took on the form of a man and came and suffered among us. And he looked into our lives, right? Two chapters earlier from Matthew 11, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus, it says Jesus looked up and he saw the crowds. They were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Right? There's a reason why he comes forward and says, well, I am the good shepherd. Right? There are certain things 
only Jesus can do in our lives. Because the story inside which we are has characteristics to it. And Jesus identifies them here. There's a burden. There's an excessiveness. Now, I'm going to read through some things really, really quickly here. Because it's, a, it's a several quotes. I just want you to feel this because... Um, unlike other generations, you know, ours is not the story of the bubonic plague or, or some massive death that's circulating. We, we live long lives, fairly healthy ones. Our trouble is a different kind of trouble, but it's troubling nonetheless, right? Our trouble in our technologically advanced, well-to-do world has generated a, an increase in desperation, despondency, and suicide in this century like we haven't seen. Right? You'd think all the gadgets, all the lifestyle, all the abilities that we've managed to create for ourselves, we'd be, we'd be living large, man. We'd be enjoying life. But since the year 2000, suicide rates continue to increase. They've gone up 33%. Whatever we're doing, it's not helping our souls find rest. When, when, when people get to the point of suicide, the restlessness of their soul has reached a horribly epidemic proportion. It's like, I cannot live with this another day. I stare into that. I, I, I can't hold back tears sometimes. Well, I, I shared with you guys a few years ago when I looked at a guy like a Robin Williams who committed suicide. I think... What was that moment like when his soul was so desperate and so worn out? I, I'm worn out. I have labored and labored and labored and labored and I can't fix this. I quit. I give up. Ours is a noisy, noisy, noisy world. I think the level of noise and distraction in our lives puts us in a very vulnerable place because we're not doing much to create a counterbalance for what this world is doing to us. There's just not much on the inside. John Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, it's a good book, he says, we all have our own story of trying to stay sane in the day and age of iPhones and Wi-Fi and the 24-hour news cycle and urbanization and 10-lane freeways with soul-crushing traffic and nonstop noise and a frenetic 90 miles per hour life of go, go, go. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm going to fly through these next quotes, but I just want you to notice something. How these writers, who most of them are pastors, speak about the plague of busyness, but also they give away their inability to escape it themselves. Right. So I came across a book back, I don't know what year it was, but it was, the book was called Crazy Busy. In 2007, it was written. It's called Crazy Busy, Overstretched, Overbooked, and About to Snap by a fellow named Dr. Edward Hallowell. Secular writer, but back in 2007, right, life was feeling, even then, Crazy busy. People's lives felt overdone, overstretched. Well, then a few years later, six years later, Kevin DeYoung, fellow we respect, appreciate much. Kevin's a pastor, author, um, wonderful believer. He writes a book called Crazy Busy in 2013. He says this, when someone asks me how I'm doing, my response almost always includes the word 
busy. I can think of several moments in just the past couple of months when I've muttered to myself, what am I doing? How did I get myself into this mess? When will I ever get my life under control? How long can I keep this up? Why can't I manage my time? Why did I say yes to this? How did I get so busy? I've bemoaned my poor planning and poor decision making. I've complained about my schedule. I've put in slipshod work because there wasn't time for any other kind. I've missed too many quiet times and been too impatient with my kids. I've taken my wife for granted and fed important relationships with leftovers. I've been too busy to pursue God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, I've likely been just like you. Unfortunately, Kevin, yes, you have. So a few years later, which you might wonder, Keith, why do you keep reading books like this? Um, Because I'm trying to deal with my own life is crazy busy. So David Murray, pastor and counselor, writes a book called Reset in 2017, so four years later. And he says, three years after my blood clot trauma, he, he tells a story about the stress in his life had created a physical response that he was generating blood clots and and nearly lost his life. He says, I ended up back in the ER to hear the doctor say, they're back. Blood clots had splattered my lungs again, this time with no prior leg pain to warn me. Tears immediately fill my eyes. Not so much from the physical pain, but from the mental and spiritual pain of knowing that I had failed to learn the lessons my heavenly father had been patiently pounding into my thick skull. Instead, I had thoughtlessly and presumptuously returned to the dangerous pace of life that had put me in the hospital before. I had to ask myself the question that Bill Hybels, who was another pastor of a large church that was in Chicago, wrestled with when he had his ER moment in a grocery store parking lot. How did this happen? How did I become this overwhelmed, overscheduled, exhausted person who is devoid of compassion and angry at everybody? How does this happen? Ronald Rollheiser describes this weary soul condition in a way I think needs to get our attention. He says, today... A number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a, listen, a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We'd like these things. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. I know this is how life feels and it feels that way for everybody. And now sometimes, you know, these are settings where we, we need to get in touch with the realities that one, you're not alone. If this is the way life is feeling, you're not alone, right? Matter of fact, one more thought, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, What do people normally answer when you ask the customary, how are you? 
Oh, good. Just busy. Pay attention and you'll find this answer everywhere. Across ethnicity, gender, stage of life, even class. College students are busy. Young parents are busy. Empty nesters living on a golf course are busy. CEOs are busy. So are baristas and part-time nannies. Americans are busy. Kiwis are busy. Germans are busy. We're all busy. (laughs) We hear the refrain... I'm great, just busy. So often we assume pathological busyness is okay. After all, everybody else is busy too. But what if busyness isn't healthy? What if it's an airborne contagion wreaking havoc on our collective soul? We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. As Ortberg has said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Can I get an amen? You know, you hear this morning feeling like, uh, yeah, mediocre version of joy. The Bible talks about a God who can bring joy unspeakable and full of glory. Mine doesn't feel that way. Mine feels mediocre. The Bible speaks about a God who can introduce us to a peace that passes understanding. My peace feels mediocre. The Bible talks about me being a new creation and being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. My transformation feels mediocre. I feel stuck in the same places I've been stuck in for years. See, Jesus stands before that audience and he says, come to me. Come to me. All of you are wearied, heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is the great offer that the Son of God makes to us. But let me conclude by just picking up that one word. Come to me. See, all of us don't like the reality I just described about our lives. We, we don't like it. We're worn out. We're sick of it. We're complaining. But there's something holding us in place. that when the Son of God turns to us and he says, Come. Right, you understand just that word, the simplicity of that word. Right, if I say, hey, Johnny, wake up. Uh, I had to say wake up first because you wouldn't come until you were awake. Johnny, come here. Come here, Johnny. I'm just kidding. You don't have to come. Um, but for Johnny to come, he's going to have to give up sitting next to his wife, being seated. He's going to actually have to come to where I am. There's, there's something about that invitation, right? Jesus makes this invitation. I think I wrote this out carefully in your outline. Come requires relocating. It implies a sense of movement from one location to another. But don't overlook. You are probably in your current location for a reason. I'm just, I can't stand how busy I am. Why are you so busy? You are that way for a reason. 
why are you in these, quote, toxic relationships that are destroying or doing something bad in your life? Well, okay, you understand you may have to leave that location, but you're there for a reason. You opened the door to those relationships for a reason. You had reasons why you got around those people. Why? Do you need to break the habit that's destroying your life right now? Whatever it is. Food addiction, drug addiction, porn addiction. Why? Why did you ever take up that address in the first place? See, because when Jesus says come, it's ignorant to not recognize you are where you are for reasons. Because if you've got no reason, it's very easy for Jesus to say come and you just get right up and come, don't you? I got no reason to be here. I'm here by accident. I just happen to be passing through this spot. I had no intention. I don't even know where I am. Come, sure. But when I have built my life into something, when I have chosen to be a part of something, connected to something, I've got reasons. And for you to follow Jesus, to come to him, you're going to have to part with those reasons. You chose that location because it was attractive or promising. You chose it to meet a need that you had. Something that you felt like is driving you. Got to. Got to have this. You chose it because it was popular. Everybody else is doing this stuff. Everybody else lives their life this way. In a weird way, Guys will get this. In a weird way, pornography is popular. Pornography used to be weird. And so when you heard weird, it didn't call out to you like, oh, yeah. Now, well, everybody's got a problem. It's just, it's just the norm now. Everybody. It's got that. What's, the popularity could have you wherever you are in your location. You chose it because it was easy. You're in a location, doing life a certain way, doing relationships a certain way, doing a job a certain way, doing whatever a certain way, because it's the easier choice. You understand, for Jesus to stand and stare at your location and say, come come to me, he's inviting you to give up easy. That might be really hard for some. So I don't want you to overlook, this isn't a new Bible verse. Come to me, all who... That's been around a long time. It's not like this morning I'm letting everybody know. Hey, did you know? There's this invitation. The Messiah, the powerful Son of God invites... What? I can leave where I am and come to him? You've known this for a long time. You may have to wrestle with why am I unwilling to come? You don't want to give up what's familiar to you? Remember the Israelites? They had a problem following, coming to Jesus. Jesus sent for them, sent Moses. Hey, Moses, go tell my people to come to me. I'll meet them at Mount Sinai. At first, they were like, oh, yeah, let's go. And then they ventured out into the wilderness and realized, uh, there's no McDonald's out here. Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to drink? What if we get attacked along the way? All of a sudden, it was risky. To come to Jesus. You know what they wanted to do then? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Can you imagine? They didn't want to come. The place that they hated and they complained about because they were all too busy and miserable. No, but we'll go back there. Yeah, because we, we get that location. We don't, 
this is risky. We'd actually have to trust Jesus to follow him. Oh, that was kind of in the original deal. I don't know if you knew that. This is the real issue, right? At some point, you and I confront the idea that we have entrusted our lives to something, to some ideas, to someone. Maybe it's a relationship. We've entrusted our our hope for a future is in something. And Jesus comes to that. And he stands on his holy ground with the ways in which he is. and, And he looks at you where you are and he says, come from there to me. Transfer your trust and your hope to me from wherever it is that you have it in your life. Listen, I, I, you know, we've titled this series Coming and Going in the Next Decade. This is, this is at the core of coming. Coming to Jesus. Don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake. No matter how good your life is going, don't, don't make the mistake of, can I just get one more ice cream and ride one more ride? Oh, listen, you may be going really, really well right now. Can, can I remind you? The dinosaurs are going to eat you. If you go back and stand in line to get you an ice cream, someone's going to betray you. Some financial mess is coming. Some diagnosis is coming. You're going to lose somebody who's close to you. This is the world you live in. The dinosaurs are coming. You've got to come to Jesus. And it makes no sense to go somewhere else in your life. One of the things that we want to venture into, and I'm going to ask Gina and Eric to help lead us in this song, is there something about who Jesus really is, right? Because he doesn't just say, come. He says, come learn of me. Something about knowing him and learning of him that compels me all the more to come to him, to want him, to trust in him, to trust this one that says, come to me. I I know you're putting your hope in all kinds of things, but can you move from there and come to me? Would you come and trust me? Do you know that I can satisfy everything in you that you need? You know, I'm the one who can do that and the more I taste that the more I experience that the more God delivers me from these bad ideas that have held me captive all these years by who he is the more convinced I am to entrust myself to him more and more so you listen carefully to this song come back and pray for us uh, when they're done From the need to be accepted 
taken captive that ideas certain conditions in life could create a captivity for us like the fear of being lonely fear of losing health fear of not being accepted or understood you stare out at in an audience like this and see men and women and young people laboring 
laboring under the weights of those ideas. Wearied, exhausted, never able to find enough acceptance, never able to find security in relationships, never delivered that their life is going to be a good life on the other side of a diagnosis. Well, the reality is in here, in this room today, some are laboring and they are wearied. And you hold out your arms to them this morning. You came into their story with your story. And you say, come to me. Come to me. There are things about your life that you can never fix and no person can ever fix them. Come to me and learn of me. I will give you rest. I pray for this gathering this morning, Lord, every man and woman young person that you have brought here this morning. Lord, I pray for each of them. Lord, that 2030 will be different than 2020. For there will be something profound of a moment when coming to you took place. And the continuing to come to you to find rest for our souls takes place over and over over again listen while your head's bowed just for a moment I just want you to ponder where you are in this invitation that Jesus gives remember the Bible says as you received Christ so walk in him Jesus gives this invitation, but doesn't mean we always take him up on it. We might be aware of Jesus' story, what he did, the fact that he loves us. But maybe we've never received him as our own. And maybe the reason we haven't is because we've stayed in our location, whatever our location is. We've just been doing it our way for our reasons. what if this morning you'd like to take Jesus up on his invitation? What if your heart bears witness right now and says, I want that. I want that rest. And and I do believe he's the only one who can give it to me. Well, then come to him. From wherever you are, whatever you've trusted in, whatever your hope has been in for the future of your life, come to him. Pick up that suitcase of hope that you've invested somewhere else. Pick it up and come to him with it. Bring it to him. Because that's what faith does. Faith comes to Jesus believing him. That he holds your future. He has promises. He can fix what's broken. He can give you a life that's been lost years ago. He can do that. 
And if you've never done that before, this is how you do it. It's very simple. It's very powerful. To come to him means leaving where you are. That's what the Bible calls that repentance. We turn away from our own way of doing life. We recognize that we can't stay where we are. That the way we've done life isn't right. And we need God. We repent by turning to him. Leave where you are and turn to him now. In your own heart, tell God that. God, I'm coming to you this morning. Well, who is it that you're coming to? Not just another guy, not just another teacher. Jesus Christ, no one like him. God himself came and put on human flesh. Came to restore us to God. Came to die to shed his blood, to forgive our sins. To break down the wall that separates us from God. That makes God feel like he's so far removed from us. Jesus came to break that wall down. Put your faith in that Jesus. The one who when he died and shed his blood was raised from the dead. And he has life and he gives it to whoever calls on him. Put your faith in that Jesus this morning. Come to him. Let this be the morning that you remember. I remember that morning, beginning of 2020, when I received Christ. And he came into my life. He invited me to come into all the brokenness and the mess and the pain and the weariness. He invited me to come and I came that morning. If you've never done that before, do it right now. Tell Jesus that's exactly what you want. Say, what that guy just described, that's exactly what I want. I believe that. Jesus, I'm coming to you. Would you come into my life now? Lead me from this day forward into the next decade, into all that you have for me. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have come to Jesus before, you know you have. You've trusted your life to Christ. You know you have. But you are here this morning wearied exhausted laboring I just want to pray for you just for a moment I want 2020 to open a new door for you God for every one of us here this morning who totally get the busy presentation the exhausted presentation the pace we can't keep up with things that seem to be weighing us down Lord such is the times in which we live but we're not okay with it Lord we're not okay with it 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 feels wrong it feels out of balance so this morning Lord we hear this invitation from you to come to you and find rest for our Souls, Lord, thank you that you made real to us to come to you to receive life perhaps long ago for many of us. Lord, now we want to take up this verse. We want you to take it up in us. Lord, there's something about taking your yoke and learning of you that brings this rest into a reality in our souls. God, right now we're stopping and saying, Lord, we want that. We want that in a greater way rescue us, deliver us from the things that have distracted us from you Lord, this plague this contagion 
of busy distraction, Lord, has left our innards feeling broken and messed up. So, Lord, would you start us this morning with a willingness? How many of you guys right now, the Lord is beginning to identify something that he's calling you away from? To come to him, you're going to have to put some distance between you and something else, someone else, some other idea or belief. God, would you make that real for each one of us? Lord, what created the address from which we're living life? Lord, why do we feel we need to do this much stuff with this many people? Lord, what have we believed that has pushed you to the edge of our existence and welcomed so many other things into the center of who we are? Well, Lord, we're starting this year and this decade with a desire to be rooted and established and strengthened in you. To learn of you in such a way that, Lord, we find it delightful to move from where we are to experience more of you where you are. God, would you let that be true of us? Let it be that 2030 gets informed by the nearness of God who has been our good for this last decade. Lord, start it now. For your glory, God, and for our good.